Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. Hello, and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns. This is the show we share cutting-edge strategies to help marketing directors, CMOs, and heads of businesses to get more leads and sales to achieve your company's vision. And this is part two of our two-part series with Neil Patel and Eric Sue from Marketing School. And if you haven't listened to part one, definitely check it out. You can also check it out, obviously, over on our YouTube channel at perpetualtraffic.com forward slash YouTube. We've always had sort of a rivalry. I'm air quoting that with these guys for some time. Ever since we started Perpetual Traffic, they started Marketing School right around the same time. So we have both been in the podcasting game for quite some time. And they bring a different view of what we talk about on a regular basis on this show, because they're both coming from an SEO background, even though I started an SEO, they kept with it. I think these episodes here are super helpful for you, the listener. So definitely, if you haven't listened to part one, go back and check that out over on our YouTube channel or wherever you listen to podcasts. Part two, we're going to be talking about some of the big, big issues that we all face as agency owners and you as a director of marketing or you as a head of a business or if you're doing the marketing for a company, which is attribution, why data collection, <laughs> we all four agree on this, is going to get worse before it's going to get better and what you can do about it. And then why agencies just suck so bad in so many cases. And there's way too many of them. And Neil and Eric and I and Kasim are all agency owners. So we do a little agency bashing there, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel there. And also we talk about the 7-11-4 rule, which is not a rule that Kasim just pulled out of his ass, but actually is a real rule and how that relates to marketing just in general and what those guys are doing in their marketing, how we're using it in our marketing. And then last but not least, we end with our most effective AI tools, and the most interesting things we've learned in business most recently. So this is an episode that you will want to listen to. So check it out here. Like I said, go back to part one. Obviously, go over to the YouTube channel, perpetualtraffic.com forward slash YouTube, and watch it over there in our Brady Bunch for screen sequence. So without further ado, take it away, Eric. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing 
his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Awesome. Let's flip it to you. And by the way, Cosm, you, you can have the question because Neil so rudely cut in and stole my question from Ralph. So Cosm, it's yours now. There's no such thing as attribution. There is no such thing as attribution. And it's, I feel like I'm chicken little and the emperor has no clothes and everybody's identifying the problem in different ways. They're saying different things. But when I come out and say, there's no such thing as attribution, it was like, that's a very inconvenient truth. We can track nothing when it comes to the customer sales cycle. We can see nothing. If you look at the the spectrum from top of the bottom to the funnel and then left to the right of the journey, impression to click, you can see 1% of it, maybe. And you have all these, and it's everybody is my impression, my feeling. Everybody's treating that 1% of data as though it's the single source of truth and they're optimizing off of it. And they're even looking at it as though it, it, it's somehow it, it can be used in order to model what's left. And then th- that's not true at all. You can't see the top of the funnel, period. You can't see most of the middle of the funnel, period. You can see some of the bottom of the funnel, depending on the channel we're talking about. But even then, it atrophies based off of time, location, device, etc. So the the idea that digital marketing has a data and analytics component, I think is a lie. I think it's an open air conspiracy. I think all in-app metrics are a lie. All ROAS data is a lie. All TCPA data is a lie. I think all of Facebook's data reporting is a lie. Dude, it's nuts because here's the other thing. I have a hundred million dollars in ad spend under management observation. I can prove this shit, but you still have agencies coming out being like, you're getting a 1600% ROAS. Does your bank account say that? How, how is it that you can have a Google agency and a Facebook agency selling this shit and these and the customers, I'm like, do you put a dollar in and get $1,600 out? No. Then where's the disconnect, dude? Am I the crazy one? Or is it the idiot that's telling you that you're getting 1,600% ROAS? And yet we still are in this world where agencies are getting away with saying, oh, 1,600% ROAS. If that were true... You know what I mean? Like we'd be minting. You have a magic money minting machine. Why don't? Why aren't we putting a billion dollars? Why am I not mortgaging my kidneys to put more money in the top of this funnel so I can get more sixteen hundred percent ROAS? It's it's unbelievable to me that we're still to this day eating this shit. And everybody's like, no, you know, it's like I know there's some opaque and there whatever, and we're treating data like it has some holes, but it's eighty percent congruent. Y'all, it is 99% black box. 
with little pinpoints of light. And you have these data-driven marketers that run around sending you reports every 30 days saying, here's what's happening. And it's such a bold-faced, insane lie that, you know what I mean? I'm just like, all right, well, I guess if you're going to pay for that, cool. Good for you. God bless. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So what should people do in in a world of uh, dark social or lack of attribution, whatever people are calling it? it? Dude, people think they're driving a Formula One race car. They're not. They're sailing a sailboat in the dark, at night, in the rain, under cover of cloud. You know what I mean? It's it's here's what people need to do is go full funnel with their marketing. And Ralph Burns, my buddy, has been saying this for a decade. You have to do brand awareness, I stole brand it from building. Neil Patel. You have to, That's the problem. Yeah, that's dude. Well, and here's <laughs> the other thing too. Ralph steals from me. Nobody steals from me. This is something the organic guys and 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 credit to y'all because the paid guys for the last five years have been like, why would you waste your time with this shit? And you know what, guys? I used to believe it. I'm like, I can hook you up straight to the tap and I can get you instant pop popcorn. Well, guess what happened? The last 10 years, we got so obsessed with instant pop popcorn that people stopped planting corn. All top of funnel traffic was compressed down. And so organic awareness building, everything that was important, we just got so obsessed with instant response. And to our detriment, that's why CPMs and CPCs have gone absolutely insane. Used to be you could run traffic, sell something and make money. It was like, oh, it costs you know ten dollar cost per acquisition on a thirty dollar product with a ten dollar cog. I made ten bucks, and it was like I sold something, I made money, and then it got so competitive. It was like, all right, well, I sold it and I broke even, but I made money on the upsell, and then the upsell covered the cost of the traffic, but I make money on the ascension. Well, I'm self liquidating now, but I make money LTV. We're getting squeezed and squeezed and squeezed and squeezed, and it's because we're all compressing into this, into the, where we can see. And the answer is, you have to spend where you can't see. You have to spend in impression-based ad channels where you can't track and see. You have to spend full funnel where you can't track and see. Here's the craziest part. You ready for this shit? You have to spend over protracted periods of time. The fact that the digital marketing world operates on 30-day timelines. What sales cycle outside of like, I don't know, birth control pills <laughs> could possibly, what, when, why, how do customers, well, I'm going to be a good customer. It's day 30. I need to buy. Why the fuck are we reporting <laughs> on 30 days? You know what I mean? There's no sales cycle in the world that functions that way. We need to be able to zoom out and look at things from, we live in the age of the educated consumers. And it could take people months before they buy their blue light blocking glasses or their headphones. People research shit at nauseam. It's insane. It's unbelievable. It's actually neurotic. There's something wrong with it. We're all on the autism spectrum now because we spend so much time in sales cycles. And yet in 30 days, I'm going to make my decision every 30 days. Oh, this happened. And then if you turn something off, this happens to us all the time. I can't tell you how many times I know I've been complicit in it and I didn't realize we did it. We turned a Facebook ad campaign off seven months ago. The Google campaign died today but I only think in 30-day timelines. So I don't realize the awareness building campaign that I turned off that was feeding my Google campaign seven months later had any impact or correlation at all. When was the last time, take any agency, any marketer, any CMO, any director of marketing, when was the last time anybody looked and saw how there could have been a correlative event beyond 90 days? This happened seven months ago. You'll never, ever, ever, ever see the impact that happened downstream because we can't think like that because everything happens 30-day windows. It's unbelievable. And we're just like, I guess this is life now. Billions of dollars being spent in this weird, insane ecosystem where we're all lying to each other and ourselves. 
You know what I mean? It's nuts. I didn't mean to get all weird with you guys. but no, just, that, that was great. Dude, this is like the controversial takes portion right here. So I'll tell you what, Neil's got a controversial take. So you re- Neil wrote this tweet once uh, a couple weeks back about how business coaches are the stupidest things ever. I don't get it. So maybe that's something that's worth debating. So Neil, let's go through that controversial take right now. Well, so with what you're talking about, I'll start with the data and the analytics side. I think the worst players in this space are actually the platforms. We see it the most off with Facebook and Google telling you the return on investment. They can spend billions of dollars to make AI, but they can't spend the money to actually report you return on ad spend. Oh, I guess I'm just bad at it. You should just keep spending money because we can't tell you. Just Google. Yeah. Yeah, and, And you know what? It's just like, so you're telling me you can't sync with bank accounts, inventory software, all these places to really figure out return on investment. Because it's not that complex when you think about it, right? right. I do think data is going to get worse. I know you're not saying it's exactly 1%. I get what you mean by that. I'm being mildly hyperbolic, but it's it's yes. way worse than people admit it is, right? Yes, it is yeah. way worse. Yeah. And it's going to get worse with the cookie deprecations. But what I see with data and analytics You can measure quite a bit, but not everything. And what people think they can measure in top of funnel, I think they're getting wrong because you can't measure everyone who sees your Instagram image or video or watched it. Instagram has that data, but they're not passing that over to you. And that person could have watched a video on Instagram, a video on TikTok, not ever being a follower because everyone's into reels or TikToks these days, so they're just scrolling. They see it and they're like, oh, yeah, I saw that Neil Patel or Eric Sue or Kasim or Ralph. And let me go to their website and Google them. And then I find them and then I talk to them and then I buy. There's so much you can't track. I do think the importance of data and analytics is more important than ever, especially what's happening with cookies, because it gives you directional movement. Mm. It's not a crystal ball. It's not perfect, but it gives you directional improvement. And the reason I think this is super important was the actual example you gave about the seven months. Hey, we did this top of funnel, and then this is what happened to the campaign seven months later when we stopped. Because what most organizations do that don't have data and analytics teams or people that are really analyzing everything, brand recall studies and you name it, they'll say, oh, an algorithm change and something happened, economy, so it doesn't work anymore, instead of really trying to dive into the data and figure it out. And I don't think data and analytics will ever be perfect. I think it's going to get worse with privacy, but I do think it's more important. And the reason I think it's more important is the platforms have not done a good job historically to help you out with it. They'll show you that you're getting a 1,007% return on your ad spend, and they don't know how to sync up with your bank account and your inventory software, whatever it may be, or your sales force to actually see what leads have closed. And instead, they just say, yeah, no, no, it's 17% or 1,700%, spend more. So how do we counteract this? Because Ralph, Kasim, you guys have talked about this on your pod before. And there's different things that you guys use and all that. You can't counteract completely. I, to me, it's a black box, honestly. I'm with you, Kasim. So what do you guys think? I think so much of it is a leap of faith. There is a study that we refer to. It's the only really good one that I've seen with 800 campaigns, 30 years, 83 different industries. And they basically show that You can get to a certain point with activation campaigns, which is basically a conversion campaign. But around six months, around six months is when your top of funnel impression based, the stuff that you can't possibly even measure, 
this podcast, for example, is going to be one little tiny speck of data because it's impression-based. And you know, unless they say, hey, I'm going to fill out the single grain application, I came from your podcast, you'll never know. The point is, is like, mm. I think for a lot of us, it has to be a bit of a leap of faith. And what we try to convince our customers of this is when we're trying to go up funnel, it's trust us first off, we've done it before, but do it in increments and you have to be patient. You have to wait. And it's usually around like three to six months, we start to see some kind of data if we start to spend more on the very, very top of funnel. That's not discounting like their billboards and their newspaper ads and their social posts. We have a customer that we just did an analysis for, huge social following on YouTube, millions. And Facebook is saying that they're getting a 13x ROAS and they've never looked at view through versus click. And this is like, obviously it's like seven day click versus one day view. One day view is like 80% of their conversions. They're like, yeah, Facebook, our Facebook agency says that we're crushing it on Facebook. I'm like, you're not. Stop all your Facebook ads right now. <laughs> Literally just run like conversion campaigns for $100 a day. And I guarantee you, you will actually have the same revenue that you do. Your Facebook ad agency is spending all this money and plus their fees. Like you guys can save money. Like we just saved you $50,000 right there. But the point is, is like, I think agencies are to blame to a certain degree. Going back to my original point is that they all want to take credit for it. Nobody really knows who yeah. to listen to. It's the ones who actually say, listen, we're going to look at everything and we might not be 100%, but here's what we think is working here. And let's go back 15, 20 years ago to the days of David Ogilvy. David Ogilvy didn't have a pixel and he was a pretty good advertiser. So it's almost like going back to that, but I think patience and really understanding and going back to, oh, AI is going to replace all your media buyers, bullshit. The best media buyers are the ones that are really going to figure this out and they're going to use AI tools in order to make themselves even better. And it's going to make agencies more important, the good ones, and like 42,000 of them, I think, go out of business <laughs> with 100 <laughs> left over, hopefully four of us on this call here today. <laughs> hey, and then my list will be updated to it's just, just us four. four. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Just your blog post for you. <laughs> Dude, speaking of the, the AI stuff, what's been working for you guys? You guys share a lot of stuff there too. So let's uh, start with you, Kasim. <sighs> he doesn't actually do any work. What's my so, wicked smile? Yeah, oh, he has dude, to I've think a couple of something really, good ones. really quickly. <laughs> so long form. I'm actually, you know what's so funny? I'm stealing this. So this is a wicked smart presentation that just happened at Driven, which is the new war room. So, that means he's Quick never done it, but he's just list. stealing it from somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm stealing it from, this is uh, Dimitri, my buddy Dimitri Smirnoff, right. Big Life Smirnoff, Marketing, yeah. Wicked Smart Cat. You guys should have him on the podcast. Dimitri presented a wicked smart that I loved and I've actually done. He's taking long form YouTube ads. Here's what's really interesting about YouTube ads. The watch times on YouTube ads are inordinately higher than all other media platforms. So if your watch time on like meta ad is, I don't know what, 15, 20 seconds or whatever, your watch time on YouTube ads can be minutes long. And the average time on site for YouTube is 20 minutes, which is insane. The average time on site across all websites is sub 60 seconds. So like average time on site on YouTube is unfreaking believable. And if you have long form ads, we have one of our highest performing ads across, we spend 150 to $200,000 a month in, just in YouTube. One of our highest performing ads is an hour long. Hmm. It's a one hour long video of John Moran explaining media efficiency ratio. John Moran, the basketball player? 
No, John, John Moran, my business partner. I didn't know there was yeah. a John Moran. You guys didn't player. know he was a media buyer? Yeah. An NBA star. John Moran. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, he moonlights. So we have this hour-long YouTube video, but the point that Dimitri makes is if you've got these watch times, especially if your watch time is getting close to 60 70 80%, whatever, why would you stop? If people are watching, allow them to continue to watch. And then the other thing that can be really interesting too within YouTube following that kind of same ethos is – run ads to other YouTube videos, which is counterintuitive. Everybody thinks, you know, the click should go to the website, the funnel, the offer, the whatever. But there's Google has the 7-11-4 rule. Have you all heard this? No, I haven't. It sounds familiar. Go ahead. It's interesting. Google did this multivariant study across basically all purchasing behavior. But the 7-11-4 rule states that a customer needs to spend seven hours, engage with seven hours of content, across 11 different moments in four locations before they're ready to engage with you. So what this does is it gives you the opportunity to kind of really boost those numbers. And instead of going straight for the throat and the jugular of buy now, using high-end content to have them engage with more high-end content, it's a way to invest in your customers, give value first, and it's showing quite a bit in the way of results for us. I love that. Was that a wicked smart winner? He placed in the top three. The winner was actually Rachel Miller this year. That name sounds familiar too. Dude, Rachel's maybe one of the smartest people in the whole wide world. You guys should have her on too. She just launched a, an AI product called Busy.ai that's insane. Shout out to my friend Rachel. Well, what, is it, what does it do? Tell us what it does. You get a it double with It creates the product, the funnel, the list, the follow-up for everything that you need to launch an info business in a fraction of a second. It's like a business in a box creator. It's unbelievable. So if that's you want to create business products. You can launch a business, Emma. Yeah, it will be Emma's business we could do in, in 15 minutes about together. That's pretty cool. I love it. All right, Ralph, hit us. I'm far more like see the ball, hit the ball here. Like I look at AI right now as just a force multiplier for people that I already have on staff as opposed to replacing them. But I have to replace some content writers with some of the AI tools. I mean, one of the biggest video tools that we use, like talk about content just at top of funnel. Like we're really talking about the more content you can get out there, as much as possible from an organic perspective, and you guys know this, and obviously you guys rank for lots of keywords, but it's not even that. It's just being out there and multiplying your content and taking what you've already done. In our case, we use a lot of video. I know you guys do as well. But I think one of the best tools, and I was surprised that people actually at our mastermind didn't know about this one because I thought everybody did, which is opus.pro. Opus we cool. use Opus all the time. It's absolutely fantastic. So for people who don't know what it is, let's say you have a video, like this is a video podcast here. You basically throw it into opus.pro and it pulls out the segments for the small short form videos with the most relevant content. In our case, it might be something, well, probably not something that Kasim said, probably something that I said, I'm sure. <laughs> it pulls out the most relevant chunks and then recreates that in a short form video with some slight editing. And then you have your person go in there and do the refinements. And then we can multiply stuff so quickly, so fast. I think it's getting to be known a little bit too much because some of the short form videos are done in sort of that Hermosi style, which Hermosi is now sort of changing his style to, which is kind of cool. He's going more long form. The point is, is it's a great way for you to take one piece of content and multiply it, especially in the video side, and syndicate it. We do the same thing with blog posts with another tool that we use, content at scale.ai. It's been a sponsor of perpetual traffic for years and years. I think any of those tools 
If you Google AI tools for content multiplication or for syndication, it's a great way of being able to do what we've been talking about here for the last hour or so on very small budgets with tiny teams. I literally have one video editor and he pumps out like 20 videos a day and they're high quality. So we don't know which ones are going to hit, which ones are going to get engagement. But the point is, is the more we put out, the more leads we see, the more visibility, the more opportunity we have to scale. Yeah, I told Neil this. We see social media as like a slot machine now. The more you put out, the more chances you have to hit the triple sevens. That's all it is at the end of the day. On my end, and I'll let Neil go next. So we've been doing with this podcast specifically. So we're going to go 90 minutes here, right? So Riverside's going to give us an AI transcript here. And it's called AI assisted content, right? And now I think from this experiment, now it's driving like up to five, 600 clicks per day. And it's starting to really ramp up. What we're doing is this podcast is daily. And we are just taking the trending topics and then taking the transcript, making it into a blog post using AI. But then you have a human in a loop that's going to add context to it. It's going to add links. It's going to add pictures to it. And then we're also cross-linking to other recent new publications. But our costs come down a lot. We're able to put the content out a lot faster. Now what we're doing too is we're using the XML sitemaps of marketing news websites too to get trending topics and then we might get like a quick overview and then our writers will just go in and start writing that way we might not necessarily need to ideate every single time so this is a way for us to build more top of the funnel content while we use programmatic seo to build more content around more bottom of the funnel stuff for example if you're a trip advisor they get 127 million visits per month from organic all seo they rank for like 20 million keywords and they rank for everything on there, fun things to do in Rome, things to eat in Japan, fun attractions, all these things. And anybody can do that now. So it just depends, not anybody, but if your business has a lot of these different permutations, there's a lot of different demands, there's locations and things like that. You can do programmatic SEO. That's more bottom than funnel. You add in these two combos, you're going to be really hard to beat because most people, 99% of people are not doing this right now. Super smart. One thing that we're doing right now, which has been creating a massive ROAS, is selling on the platform. So if you look at most ads, whether they're brand awareness or performance-based ads, the intention is, is people try to drive people to a website and get them to convert. What we're seeing is right now, if you just keep people on the platforms, it's way cheaper. So for example, if you're running ads and stories on Instagram, don't have one story, have multiple stories that gives the pitch, gives all the copy that they would get on the landing page from your website, but keep them on Instagram longer and let them stay in the native platform that they're used to. And they're consuming everything that they need to know. And then when they go to your website, they go to buy. And some of these platforms are making it where they can just buy on that platform. But what we're finding that is working extremely well right now is take what marketing material you would put on your website and don't think of your ads as just an ad to drive people back to your website. How can you have an ad that engages them and give them the information on the platform that they're on so they don't have to go to your website other than to make the purchase? And we find that to convert really well and be much more cost effective, especially in a time where Kasim gave the example of it used to be you spend $10 and you make $30 sale and you make 10 in profit and then you're breaking even and then you're losing money on the front end and then you're really losing money on the front end hoping to make it back in the LTV. But we're seeing this make the numbers more favorable to the advertisers again. Cool. Love it. Kasim Ralph, rate that one through 10. Dude, that in-app. Do y'all know Depeche Mandelia? No. He's a smart guy. I've heard him talking about staying in app a year ago. And at the time I thought like, how lazy? 
But since then, I've seen it move more and more in that direction. And to the point that Neil's making, everything gets better. Engagement is better and higher. You keep people where they want to be. And what's nice is you're tracking. It's their lead indicators, so it's vanity metrics. But that's better than nothing, which is what I feel like we're getting. And so those vanity metrics become meaningful because if somebody's watched a myopic ad, well, who cares? But if somebody's watched something that constitutes the majority of your funnel, that's really meaningful data. So I think that's a brilliant note. I'd go 10. Cool. I would agree I with that. It. We've used that with video ad sequences on YouTube, on YouTube ads, and it works really, really well. Sometimes it's seven, eight, nine individual videos, and they may or may not. And there's a way in which you can actually track it. Am I watching the first one, the fifth one, the seventh one, then back to the third one? The point is, is people just still don't think people get the fact that people just don't look at a video click to a landing page and then see a retargeting ad and buy. And that's three in 30 days, in three days yeah. you know, within a 30 day sequence. It's like people are chaotic and there's chaos out there. You have no idea what people are doing, but if you actually try to set up, and this is where the smart marketers are really going to thrive in the next few years with AI and into the future is thinking it through. I was going to buy my earbuds. What would I need to know in order for me to finally make that buying decision? Not like there's anybody in the world that doesn't know what AirPods are. The point is, is what is that thing that will engage them to start? We're going back to basics here. We're going back to like David Ogilvy. Talk about their pain points and their desires in your ads. Dice talked about this at Traffic and Conversion Summit. Actually call out in your ads to your avatar and their problem. And then pull them through on a sequence of events and it's not linear. Expect them to go all over the place. And I think, you know, what Neil's talking about with videos and social, same kind of thing because you have to sort of think in reverse. People don't click, click, and then buy. They watch, they click, they click again, they watch here, here. It's a, it's chaos. And if you just don't expect people to do exactly what you want them to do at all times when it comes to performance marketing, I think you're going to be in a better place. But if you think through logically, especially through sequences, I think you're going to be that much closer to success. Love it. All right. We got one more thing over here. So go ahead, Neil, finish your thought, then we're going to wrap it up. So Ralph, you showed the example of the AirPods that you were holding up. The way I bought AirPods back in the day, my first ever set of AirPods was saw them on the internet, read some articles, saw them on the Apple website, didn't want to spend the money. Time goes on, was at the airport, there was a little kiosk thing, and I literally swiped a credit card and I bought AirPods right then and there. How are they going to track that I bought that in the kiosk at the airport because I saw it all previously online? Like That's how buying works these days, and you guys are spot on, but it's funny. Some of this stuff is really hard to track. So here's the last question for everyone here. What's something really interesting that you learned recently? and Kasim, you get to go first. Oh, goodness. What was that thing, Ralph, that Perry Marshall was talking about? It's based off of New York stage plays. And actors would sit around saying, how long do you think this play is going to run? And if it's ran for a week, then we'll give it another week. If it's ran for 30 years, we'll give it another 30 years. It's an economic principle that says the amount of time that something's been around is the amount of time it will continue to the be Lindy around. Effect. Lindy effect. Lindy I, effect. There's my notes. Yeah. So... <laughs> Perry Marshall spent an hour going on and on and on about the Lindy effect. And I can't stop thinking about it now. 
when you Google it, there's a bunch of rabbit holes you can dive down. But I found this video, the Lindy Effect explained in one minute from this one minute economics YouTube channel. It's fun, especially given where we are now with the way the world is changing to play Lindy effect with shit. Yeah, got it. Love it, Cosmo. I'll go next on this one. So I'm reading a book right now called Working Backwards. Have you guys read this book before? No. Okay. So one guy was the chief of staff for Jeff Bezos. So these are two Amazon guys. One guy followed Jeff Bezos for two to three years. He shadowed him everywhere. The other guy, he worked at Amazon for 15 years. He started Prime. He started video and all that. And these guys were just going through the entire frameworks, like all the secrets behind how Amazon operates. And there's all these things. You hear about these two pizza teams, like, you don't think much of it. It's like, oh yeah, no te- team shouldn't be larger than two pizzas. It actually goes way further than that and it keeps evolving. And it, it goes into like this thing called single-threaded leadership. I'll give a takeaway for everyone and I'll, I'll just move this on. There's like so many things in there, but one thing is they talk about the six-page narrative, right? And they don't allow PowerPoints at, at Amazon. And the reason for that is because they... PowerPoints are for lazy people, right? It allows the presenter to be lazy and it puts more of the onus on the audience. Their whole thing is you got to write a six page narrative if you want to push a, a thing through. And if we approve it, great. If not, then like, you know, too bad. You're shit out of luck, right? You see how they evolve over time. It's like everything's chaotic, but they slowly methodically get to something that makes a lot of sense. And that's why they're the machine that they are. And I highly recommend it. Doesn't matter if you're a startup or if you're a scale up, it's a good book. But let's go with you, Ralph. You're next. There was a book that I read recently, I think that just changed my whole thinking on what it is that we do as a business. And I think any business that I run after this, because obviously, I mean, at a certain point, I'm going to get tired of doing this. And probably we are looking at some point to obviously exit and do a transaction. But the idea of how to make a brand legendary, I've always sort of thought of this black box, like how does Steve Jobs actually do it? How does Chick-fil-A do it? How does like Volvo do it? How does Lego do it? And a book that I read is Make Your Brand Legendary by Scott Wozniak. Not a very well-known author, but we've patterned our whole business around this whole idea that every great business has four components to it. And the component, number one component is operational excellence. The next one is memorable moments that your customers and clients talk about and they get this great feeling about you. The next part is deep customer insights, which is he refers to as sort of flash surveys every now and then, just out of the blue, not like an NPS score that you send once a year or whatever it happens to be, but just deep customer insights. It's all layered, you know, track all the way around it, which is your leadership team, which enables all of this to come together. And one of his best examples of this is how Chick-fil-A operates. Chick-fil-A operates not because they are the largest. McDonald's is obviously is the largest. But why does Chick-fil-A, an individual franchise, gross revenue, double the average revenue of McDonald's? It's because they have these raving fans because they have a customer experience engine. They have the person who comes out with the iPad and takes your order. Every time you say thank you, they say, my pleasure. Every part of it, they actually measure on their videos instead of like how much your average order value is, how many smiles they have per hour. It's this complete and utter focus on the client and the customer itself. And that's what makes a company like Chick-fil-A so great. And our whole process right now is like our whole leadership team read this book and we're like, 
we want to become this in the agency space. It's somewhat obvious, but it's taking us away from where the agency space has been in the past. And for me, it's a book that I highly recommend. I think it can be applied to any business. And it just blew me away how simple it is. Not easy to implement. The operational excellence part is just all about just making sure that you what you deliver is consistently great, not mm, sometimes great, sometimes not so great. But the whole idea of it is probably one of the best ideas I've read in the last year or so in business. Love it. Thank you, Ralph. All right, Neil, Neil, go for it. I know you talked to a lot of people. Yeah, so one of the hardest lessons I learned as an entrepreneur is leadership really is everything in the organization. Like if you're trying to solve a problem and grow your company, there's someone that's probably already done it in your space. I thought, you know, years and years ago, I raised venture capital and the VCs would tell me, your only job is to hire amazing talent. And it took me a long time for it to click. And then I had the model of, let me just go find people who work for my competitors and they continually got promotions because everyone says they're amazing, but people who got continual promotions, it showed that the company felt they were valuable, at least in most cases. And then if they work for a few of your competitors and they kept getting promotions, there's a good chance they really are valuable. And if they're a cultural fit for you, they can do wonders. And that's what's caused my organization to grow nicely over the last six years. But what I learned in more recent times is as you scale organization to 500,000 plus employees, we're getting close to hitting a thousand soon, or we'll be there, I think in a few months is my guess, like within three, four months. When you start looking at numbers like that, what I learned from some of my friends who've sold their companies to really large organizations like MasterCard and like people who have 50,000 employees, 100,000 employees, to, you know, I had a friend who sold to Accenture, et cetera you're not going to actually get all rock stars. You don't need an amazing team of 100,000 people to build a big organization. What you need is amazing leaders at the top that can train and instill values and create systems and processes that bring up your C players and turn them into B players and turn your B players into A players, etc. That's how you build a big organization. You're never going to have an organization filled with all amazing people. Your leaders should be people who know how to solve problems and have already done it in your industry before because there's less chance that they'll make less mistakes and they'll be more successful in your organization. But they also need to be able to create systems and processes to bring up the D players and make them C players and make the C players B players and make your B players A players. And that's how you create a big company. Neil, we talked about this before, but you're really lucky at the end of the day. People think, oh, we can have like 80% A players. It's like, if you're really good, you're maybe 20% A players. Most of the time, you're like 10, 15%. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with the C, D, or D, C, and B players. Because a lot of time, the D players are new graduates from college and they're just learning. They're not going to be a rock star that knows how to add 10 million in revenue when they just graduated college and they've never had a job. D is not a bad mark. It's just where they are in their career. And it's more so you need leaders in the organization to bring all of those people up and make sure they're heard and you're there for them versus just like, ah, oh, whatever, they'll figure out they're another cog in the wheel, right? That model of they're just another cog in the wheel doesn't work. You need people to bring others up. 
I'll tell you what, we're going to clip that moment and throw it on your LinkedIn. Let's see what reactions you get. (laughs) (laughs) Looking for deep players. (laughs) Look, I think that's a good place for us to wrap. But guys, this collab has been really good. I definitely would like to do more in the future. Hopefully we can do them in person. But Ralph, what's the best way for people to find you online? Same for you, Cosm. You go first, Ralph. Yeah, you could probably follow me on LinkedIn. I guess that's probably the best place to follow me. But of course, tier11.com, T-I-E-R, spell out 11. The guy who has the tier 11 with the number is holding me ransom for hundreds of thousands of dollars for that URL. So anyway, so tier11.com, Ralph Burns, you can find me there on LinkedIn. I read an article from Neil why he paid five hundred grand for one domain that redirects to him. Just so you know, Ralph, I'll forward it on to you. <laughs> <laughs> I realized I was talking to you here. It's like no price is high enough. Yeah, I was about to say you're talking yeah. to the wrong guys. They can find me socially at Casa Muslim. All socials. The one that I engage with the most is Facebook because I'm old. Oh, and I don't care. And then my agency is Solutions Eight S O L the number eight dot com. Neil? How about you guys? My social handles are all Neil Patel, and my agency is NP Digital. All right. So my social handles are all Eric O-S-I-U. So Eric O-S-U, agency single grain. And everyone go subscribe to Marketing School listeners. Go subscribe to Perpetual Traffic. Perpetual Traffic listeners, go subscribe to Marketing School. And leave ratings. If this is the first time you've heard Marketing School and you want to help these guys out, the best thing you can do is go give them a good rating. Both sides. Both sides. Give Perpetual Traffic ratings too. All right. Thanks so much, guys. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And let us know what you think about this podcast swap thing that we've been doing a little bit here. And uh, we'd love to do it with other marketing shows as well, because I think there's a lot of really good podcasts out there that will help you as a marketer, get you an even wider base of knowledge in order to help scale and grow your business, ultimately help you to achieve your vision, whatever that business happens to be. So make sure that you do subscribe and leave a rating. Let us know in the ratings what you think of these shows. That will be super helpful. And go back and listen to previous episodes, of course. You can get that over on perpetualtraffic.com. And I hadn't mentioned it already. Our YouTube channel is perpetualtraffic.com forward slash YouTube. All links and resources and all the stuff we mentioned is going to be in the show notes at perpetualtraffic.com. So definitely check those out. And last but not least, follow me over on LinkedIn, fairly active over there, and then Kasim on all the socials at Kasim Aslam. So on behalf of my awesome co-host, Kasim Aslam, until next show, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic, 